please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, the 22nd chapter. We have seven weeks before our scheduled revival, and we're going to take a look during the next six or six of those next seven. Next week, of course, we're going to be the sermon uh, as we go out and, and serve and work in our community. I'll say just a little bit more about that right as we close. Uh, but we're going to take a look at revival and, and what it means. This morning we're going to look particularly at the revival that took place under Josiah uh, in the book of 2 Kings. And, and the message is entitled this morning, The Start of the Heart and Revival. Revival is necessary for you and I, and, and it's necessary for us to understand our place in revival. It's necessary for us to understand the responsibilities that we have of our homes and our nation. It's, it's necessary for us to understand the, the, our part that we play in revival. And the, the reason that we need to understand this is because we now live in a country that has moved away from our moorings. We've moved away from being one nation under God. We have become a nation that worships the God of secular humanism. Uh, in secular humanism, man is a God. Man determines his own destiny. Man is the ultimate authority. And we live in a country today where that's what's happened. That's where we are. And when that happens, uh, what, we, we lose moral absolutes. And when there is no moral absolute, life becomes devalued. And we literally are watching our nation tear itself apart from the inside out. Just this, you know, the past three days, the, the, the murders of the two news people on live television, the sheriff's officer in, in Houston that lost his life. You know, we, we are watching our nation rip itself apart from the inside out because we've lost that. And when we anchor ourselves to those things, what happens is the gospel loses its authority to change lives. It becomes the socialized gospel. And, and we are supposed to take care of the poor and the outcast, those that society has rejected. And I would concur with you that, yes, the church is to do that. But, but the church is also to do that to earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to demand a heart change in the lives of the people. If we don't, then the things that we do in Redeemer House and Closet Angel and We Are the Sermon next Sunday, those things just become good service projects. We ought to be doing those things to earn the right to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives and demand, as the gospel does, a decision, a choice be made for life or for death. But we are here and we've come to live in a society where everybody deserves a handout and there's no more moral, no more individual responsibility. It's somebody else's fault that I am the way that I am. And, and that's not what the Word of God says. It's not what we've been intended for. It's not the purpose that we have in life. And, and so what we have to realize is we have a responsibility. And I really think in Eastland, Texas, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, we have lured ourselves to sleep thinking, well, that's not really for us. That, that'll never really happen here. That's for the big cities or that's for the, the, the liberal East Coast or West Coast. That's really not for us. But I want to challenge you with the truth. Just a week and a half ago, First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina, a church that would call herself a Southern Baptist Church, a church that the, the Southern Baptist Convention in 1845 was founded inside the walls of that church. The first president of the Southern Baptist Convention came from First Baptist Church, Greenville, South Carolina. A Southern Seminary, one of our most conservative seminaries, started inside the walls of, of First Baptist Church, Greenville, South Carolina. A week and a half ago, that church not only voted 
to support same-sex marriage, but they voted to begin to ordain gays and lesbians and transgendered ministers for their pulpit. That they might embrace, they said, the gender complexities that rule in our day. Folks, I tell you, there aren't gender complexities. What they didn't, they didn't embrace gender complexity. They embraced gender confusion that God never intended. Because you can read in Genesis, he said, in the beginning, he made them in his image, male and female. There was no confusion over gender identity when God started. And we need to understand if I praise God that. Southern Baptist churches are autonomous, okay? And I praise God for South Carolina Baptists who have said to First Greenville, either renounce your position or get out. You're no longer a Southern Baptist church. I, I praise God that that's the case. And I praise God that the convention doesn't tell us what to do. But hear me, we are not immune. If we don't understand as a people the truthfulness and the veracity and the inerrance and the infallibility and the applicability of the Word of God to our homes and to our families and to our marriages and to our jobs and to our, our community, we are not immune. And the only way that that's going to happen is for God to begin to do in my heart and in your heart what He intended from the beginning. And so we're going to look this morning at what Josiah did, what happened to him as they started a revival. He's a young man. He's probably about 26. He's been on the throne for about 10 years. All these things are taking place. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 8. If you have your Bibles open there, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Hilkiah the high priest told Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the court secretary went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the temple and have put it into the hands of those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then Shaphan the court secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And he commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and the king's servant, Asiah, go and inquire the Lord for me, the people, and all Judah about the instructions in this book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book in order to do everything written about us. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning. As we study it together. Four things that I want to show you very quickly took place under Josiah in this process. Josiah's come. He's God's anointed. He's king. He's a young man. He surrounds himself with godly leadership. And they begin to advise him on how to lead the nation of Israel back in repentance to God. One of the things that they begin to do is they begin to restore the temple. They want to put it back like it was intended. And in the process of the restoration of the temple, the Bible says they found the book of the law, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch. That's what they found as they're cleaning out the temple. And so the first thing that I want us to understand, if revival is going to come to your heart, to your home, to my heart, to my home, to our community, we have to find the book. Verse 8. Hilkiah the high priest told Shaphan the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan who read it. In the process of restoring and repairing the temple, the book of the law is found. Now I want you to hear me and I want you to understand. The Bible wasn't standing over in the corner. The book of the law went over in the corner going, hey, 
pick me, pick me, I'm it. That wasn't what was taking place. Okay, it was an accident. It was almost an afterthought. They're doing something else, and they find the foundational truth upon which the temple is supposed to be built. They find the book of the law. And they take that book, and they take it to the king. They get it to leadership, and Hilkiah, the, the priest, it says he took the book, and he read it. He took ownership of what the book of the law was and is in the life of God's people. Most of you here, some of you, probably a majority, about half of you probably know who Barry Sanders is. Barry Sanders is one of my favorite athletes of all time. He was one of the most godly Christian running backs. Uh, the only problem was he prayed for the Detroit Lions, and most of the time on Thanksgiving Day, the Detroit Lions would play the Cowboys, so I always rooted against him. Barry Sanders, had he not retired Early in his career, he would hold the record for the most yards ever by a running back in the NFL. That record is held by a cowboy, for which I'm thankful. But, but he, he not only was this great running back, he was also a testimony in perseverance. Barry Sanders didn't start until his senior year in high school. Not only did he not start until his senior in high school, he didn't start until his last year in college at Oklahoma State, his junior year, his last year that he was there. And in addition to all of his accomplishments on the athletic field, the most important thing about Barry Sanders and why he's one of my favorite athletes is he is a born-again, Bible-believing, conservative, evangelical Christian. He loves the Lord in everything that he does. And he was instrumental in, in my life through the Fellowship of Christ Athletes and other things that, that took place a long time ago. But while Barry was playing for the Detroit Lions, 1991, before a lot of you probably in here were ever even born, um, he was going in one day. Things weren't going good for the Detroit Lions. Wayne Fonts was his coach. Wayne Fonts was also a solid Christian. They would have Bible studies, talk about young men on the team that needed to be saved. And Barry was going into Wayne Fonts' office one day, and as he walked in, he noticed Wayne Fonts' Bible sitting on the desk. He was there. They talked about it all the time. But he noticed something. He noticed, and this is what he said to his coach. Coach, there's a lot of things going on on the team, a lot of problems going on in our lives, but I noticed something. The bookmark in your Bible hasn't moved in a couple of weeks. You and I have to find the book. We have to understand that the Bible is the Word of God. It's not just good reading. It's not just something that we're supposed to have hanging around the house. Can you imagine losing your Bible in this church and not thinking about it for years? Not even picking it up, not reading it, not even knowing where it was, and much less not even caring where it was. That's exactly what had happened in the nation of Israel. They had lost the book of the law, but what they found was the Bible. And they opened it, and they began to read it. And that's what has to happen to us. We have to begin to teach the next generation what it means to be biblically literate because we have raised a generation of people who are biblically illiterate and they don't understand and they don't know the truths of the Word of God and the counsel of the Word of God and the applicability of the Word of God to each and every situation. There is nothing that you're going to face in this world today. No problem, no decision, no direction that you're going to face that is not answered in the Word of God. We've got to understand it's not just a good book. It is the counsel of God Almighty. Hilkiah found the book and they took ownership of it and we've got to begin to do that. Find the book in your life. Not only did they find the book, the second thing that they said that they did is they read it. Look at verse 9. 
Then Shaphan, the court secretary, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the temple and have put it into the hands of those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then Shaphan, the court secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. They didn't understand the power of this book. And we are missing the power of this book for our homes and for our marriages. Notice what, it's almost an afterthought. Hey, we got the money, and hey, we started the work, and oh, yeah, by the way, we found a book. But the Bible says that they read it, and they read it in the presence of the king. And and we see in just a moment, we're going to look at Josiah's reaction to that. But what it says is, is that this book, you, you, you read the, the, the translation of this, and it says the book began to, began to cry out. Shaphan, the court secretary, he read it all audibly. There were words, it was noise. When, when he opened the book and read it for the king, it wasn't just silent reading. He spoke the word of God. But not only did the Bible say that he spoke it, but it's written in a way to mean that the word of God began itself to cry out. These weren't just audible words. Did any of you ever remember Popeye? Remember Alice the goon? That, that's not what this was. Okay, this was God's word itself crying out. Not the preacher, not the person reading it, but the word itself had authority to cry out in the life of the king and in the life of Judah and in the life of Jerusalem. The word of God was the power. This isn't just a good book. And there are some hard things that that Jesus says in the book. There's some hard things that God says, but we have to let the Word of God be the Word of God, and if it offends you, if it offends me, it ought to. It ought to cut us to the quick. There ought to be some times in our life that it hurts when we hear it, if we apply it to the truth. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, He's told the disciples, there's this big, huge crowd following Him, and this is what He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. And the Bible says that most turned away from following Him, and they said, this is a hard teaching who can hear this and Jesus turned to the disciples because what he was saying is unless you're committed with me all the way you're not committed at all and he turned to the 12 and he says do you too not want to go away and Peter looks at him and Peter says Lord and in that one word he's saying you are my supreme authority you are our authority you are our commander Lord to whom shall we go because you alone have the words of eternal life. Guys, it's not just a good book. It's not just a good suggestion. This is God's inerrant, infallible word. And we have to find it in our homes. And we have to start our bookmarks moving again. And allow its words to begin to cry out to us in every single function of our life. That's truth. Let it be truth for you. And when we do that, the third part of this is not only that it's just read, but thirdly, we hear the word. Look at verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The Bible says that Josiah heard, and it means that he heard intently and intelligently and intentionally. He heard to the point of attention. He heard to the point that his sin was wrong. I was reading a quote today from Ronnie Floyd, the president of our convention, and Ronnie said in in regards to those who are caught in the sin of homosexuality, hate, love the sinner, and hate our sin. See, it's personal. 
to is a lot of us walking around, man, we can point fingers at all the other sin, but we look and we just say, you know what, God made me this way, and I'm going to stay this way, and the Word of God has no authority in my life, and in and, and this area, or this area, or this area, or this compartment, whatever it is, we say, God, you can have everything else, but this one part I want to hold on to, this one part is my life, it's my business, it's not your business, and the Word of God is the authority for all of life, and for all of my sin. And that's what we've got to begin to understand, that this word is spoken to us. Josiah probably heard Deuteronomy. And when he heard what had happened, he heard as Hilkiah and Shaphan read, he heard what the people had done against holy God, and he was alarmed. And then as Shaphan continued reading, he heard what God said the people were to do when they had sinned, and he was terrified. And then they read a little bit further, and he heard what God said he was going to do to his people when they did this and didn't repent, and he was mortified. You and I have got to hear the Word of God speak in truth in our lives. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in, the, in his, uh, his epistle, uh, chapter 1, verse 25, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who acts, this person will be blessed in what he does. We need to begin to ask God again to revive in our day a, a reverence and a holiness and a respect and an application to the Word of God to our lives. In the Revelation of John, John writes about a scene in heaven. The altar is there. Jesus is there. And the Bible says that under the altar are those who are crying out. They are those who have martyred, who have been martyred in this life for their faith. And it says they are crying out, How long, O Lord, how long until our blood is avenged and the Lord speaks and says just a little while longer and they're all given white robes that have been washed white in the blood of a lamb but I want to challenge you today what if the blood of 57 million babies that have been aborted in this country since 1973 what if their blood is added to the blood of the martyrs and their blood is crying out against this nation their blood is crying out against us because we said it's not my business it's not my decision it's the choice it's not a choice it's a child and you and I have got to repent as a nation for what we have allowed this world to do as we have backed away from our responsibility to be the people of God in a world that needs to know Jesus Christ their blood if Israel was punished because she sacrificed her children to the God of Molech who was the God of convenience and wealth, how much more so will God hold us accountable for the blood of those babies because we have sacrificed them to the God of convenience and the God of wealth. We have been called to not just know it's a good book, not just to read it, but to hear it and let it begin to apply to who we are. And when that happens, the fourth thing that takes place is we respond. Look at verse 11. When the king heard the word of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He also did some other things. We'll get into that in two weeks about what our personal response is. But 
there was an outward response to what took place in Josiah's mind and in his heart and his life. There was this outward response. He tore his clothes. He's a young man, but what he did is he responds as a mature believer. And a person's response to what the Word of God says indicates two things about them. First of all, their spiritual appetite to be obedient to what God says. And number two, it also indicates their spiritual maturity. When God speaks, it's time to move. When God speaks, it's time to act. And what, what Josiah does is he sends others out to find out what we're supposed to do in repentance. The Word of God calls for a response. When I read it in my house, it ought to convict me to the point that I'm on my face before God. That my sin is not okay. That God loves me too much to leave me as I am. That His Son died to perfect me and to present me back to Him as a bride without stain, wrinkle, or blemish. That he wants me to be holy. That he wants you to be holy. And that our sin is not okay. And it can't be excused. It calls for a response. Joshua is about to go the way of the world. And he tells the children of Israel, Choose this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers that they served on the other side of the river. Or the God who brought you across into the promised land. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house... We make the choice. We're going to follow the Lord. The Word of God calls for a response. Something has to happen in our life. It's personal and it has to apply to my life. And here is where we have a choice. Today we are here and God is saying, I want to give you revival. I want to give you new life. I want you to give, to give you a stake in the land that I have promised you. I want you to have all of these things. But here's the deal. Are you going to let it apply to your life? Are you going to make the choice to surrender and say, I quit? And there are probably many of us here this morning, and the truth is you're saying, Pastor, I pray to God that that person over there is hearing what you're saying. Because God, they need revival. And there are probably some people over here who are praying, Lord, I pray that person over there is hearing what you're saying because they need revival. No, I need revival. My heart cries out for the living God to speak. I need God to move again in my life. It does apply to me. He wants it to, to move in your heart and in your soul. He wants us to respond in what we do. God wants to do something new in your life. All right, Tuesday, Wednesday, what day were we going to eat that Larry called me, Jordan called me? Wednesday, Thursday, I don't guess it matters, one day this week. A friend of mine grew up just down the road from my grandparents. He's my uncle's age, my dad, a few years older. He was friends of the family. One of the first people that, that I knew that went into the ministry that I knew personally, and, and he's you know, a little bit older than me, but he, he went in, pastored a little Baptist church, and then went into evangelism. He still spends his time going around. And he just called me out of the blue, got my number from my uncle, called to pray for me, to pray for Laurie, uh, to, to pray for our church. And he was on the way through doing a revival out in Midland, Odessa. And, 
and just said, man, you're on my heart. I just want to pray for you. And I was telling him about things in our church and telling him about our plan for revival, the prayer plan. Guys, I'm going to hit that in a moment, but, um, but we need to be praying for revival. And anyway, we're talking. He says, right as we get ready to close, he says, Sean, I want to, before I pray for you, I want to tell you a story. He said, I was doing a revival in Klondike, Texas. Okay, and there's, there's more than one Klondike, Texas. Most of you don't know where this one is. This was in North, Northeast Texas. And the reason most of you don't know is because you've never been to God's country. Okay, but Klondike's a little bit community. It's out by Pecan Gap in Delta County, Cooper. It's not Cooper, it's Cooper, okay, even though it's spelled K or C-O-O, it's not Coop, it's Coop. Um, and again, that's because you've never been there that you don't know that. But, but he was at Klondike, little bitty country church, like the church I grew up preaching, a little shotgun church, white, hold about 80 people. And Larry was there doing a revival. A friend of his had, had been a deacon at church and, and uh, you know, he, the pastor had left, and, and this deacon had always kind of felt called, and so he just kind of became the deacon pastor of this church. And, man, they meet together, good people, salt-of-the-earth people, meet together every Sunday morning, 25 of them get together in this little church that'll seat about 80, and they just have church. And about a year ago, he asked Larry, he said, hey, would you consider to come to a revival? He said, sure, let's plan it, put it on the calendar for first week in August 2015. Started moving through the summer, and the pastor called, and he said, Larry, I just... I don't know about this. He said, I don't know that our church will support the revival. I don't know if they'll come back on Sunday night. I don't know if they'll come here Monday, Tuesday. I just don't know if we need to do this. And Larry said, hey, if it's me and you and our wives, and that's all it is, that's great. We're not going to be embarrassed. We're not out for numbers. We're just out for God to move. But do me a favor, begin to pray. And so the pastor agreed to pray. They got closer to the meeting. The, the, the pastor called him. He said, hey, Larry, you know you're coming next week. Tell you what, let's just do Sunday morning, Sunday night. Let's not, let's not, I just don't think they'll come. I don't think they'll come back. I don't think they'll be here. Let's just do Sunday morning, Sunday night. And he said, uh, Larry looked at him, he said, called him, and talked on the phone. He said, I tell you what, he said, let's not set a deal. We'll do Sunday morning, we'll do Sunday night, and we'll see what happens Sunday night, and then we'll decide if we're going to go Monday, Tuesday, but let's just pray. Okay. Meet together Sunday morning, a little church hold 25, and that's about what they were, or have 25, and they, they had about 40 there that first morning. There were some people from the community that came, and they set a time to pray before the service. They prayed, and, and God did some things, people's hearts, people went to the altar and stuff, and, and, uh, you know, and he was like, I just don't know about tonight. I don't, he said, just, let's just pray. We're going to set a prayer time at 6 o'clock. We'll meet to pray, and then we'll see what happens at 7 o'clock. Six so o'clock they meet, there's four or five people in the church that come, they gather, they pray, and during the prayer, one of the men who's in that church, praise God, I want you to raise the roof and shake the foundations of this church. They get ready to start the service, and at 7 o'clock, a little church, a whole 80, they normally have 25, there's 88 people who crowded into the doors of this little church, little country church, Klondike, Texas, Northeast Texas. People from the community, men who hadn't been in the church, people, ladies who hadn't been in the church in years, they come and they're in this church, and just as they're beginning the service, the floor joices in that old shotgun frame. They hadn't had the weight of 88 people in a long time. Popped. And the subflooring in that church dropped about three inches. Larry said, we just kept praying and singing and preaching. He said four more times during the service, every time, about three inches, till that floor was sitting on, the, the subfloor was sitting on the ground. Next night, they had over 100. Worshiping on solid ground. Wednesday night, 130 people at that little church. God moved. 
touched some men and some women, so much so that that little church, Larry was getting ready to go do a revival, the far end of Hopkins County. And that little church loaded up three carloads of people and took them and went to be a part of what God's doing. The point is, God wants to do something in your life if you'll let him.